Hey guys, this is the Highlights Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Clark, and tonight, today for you, but tonight for me, and uh, the guests that I have with me, I have Rob Whitaker. Uh, Rob, thank you for joining on you know a Tuesday evening at 1030 after you finished a seminar here at the Forest Hill Church of Christ. It's great to be here. Uh, a lot of energy, and we're excited to, to be at Forest Hill. There's great possibilities um, for this church, and uh, I can't think of a better thing to do at 1030 than talk about evangelism. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm thankful that you've taken some time to do this. You know, we we at the Scattered Abroad Network are very in, in trying to be informative about good works like this. And I know you you said this week this was the 40th seminar this year that you've conducted. That's, that's correct. We've done 40 this year. We have uh, two more to do in December. So we'll end the year with 42 on-site training where we've actually been to that church. So how many weeks of the month is that then, or the year? Is that is that 42 Oh, weekends? absolutely not. Uh, yeah. my, my family would disown me. So, <laughs> so uh, there are times when I can do a, a three in an eight-day period, um, but there are times when I do just one in a week. So, um, you know, I think you can probably go down to, you know, 25 to 30 weeks. Okay, uh, and, yeah. and And that's our travel. Um I really try hard to, to get home for a seven-day stretch and then go out. And uh, if it's local, I'll do one. But if you if you require me to, to, to travel more than a day, I'm going to do three. Yeah. So if I'm going to Texas, we're going to do three. We're going to start on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, then do a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then do a Saturday, Sunday, and go home. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. And I, I know just in my own travels as the recruiter for the school here in Memphis, it, it can be a grind being on the road. How many miles would you say you probably drive a year? I'd say between forty-five thousand, fifty thousand yeah. a year. Um, it's it's a you know you ask my family, hey, where do y'all live? Uh, our joke, Holiday Inn Express, right, you know, out right. of a suitcase. Yeah, Hilton Properties. For yes, me. that's I, right. I totally understand. Uh, I t- I told Megan, uh, my wife, I said, I think this year I have slept more in a hotel bed than in my own bed. But they've gotten to go with me on a lot of those trips, so I'm not just by myself the whole time. But it is you know that, that sometimes it's like, where is home? Uh, the road. So yes, yes. I totally understand where you're coming from with that. And you guys are pounding pavement. And so I'm thankful for all that you do. I wanted to talk a little bit about the school of evangelism that you guys do at House sure. to House and some of the things that are, are kind of encasing with the seminar itself. But just for the sake of anyone that may not know who you are and where you got started, can you give some background as to how this all began with three little colored booklets? Okay, well... The three little colored booklets you're talking about are called Back to the Bible. So I was introduced to those at the Southwest School of Bible Studies in Austin, Texas. I attended there uh, 95 to 97, and uh, Rudy Kane was our, our, our teacher. He was a very close friend of Bobby Bates who wrote that material. This was my first time to encounter an organized Bible study. So up until that time, I had an evangelistic heart. I converted several of my friends, uh, but I had my own method that actually a, a member of the church taught me. And... Uh, and uh, so it wasn't just reading, you know, the Bible. I, d- I did have a method. But uh, so when Rudy Kane introduced those to me, I kind of looked at those and I laughed. I said, I don't need those. You know, I'm, I'm not a baby. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not a two-year-old. I, I, I don't need those uh, little guides. So I just, I just kind of, I, I did the classwork. I put them aside. And then, um, you know, we, we went to our first work in Poole, Kentucky. So we're up in Kentucky. First, first, first thing I wanted to do was is to reach out to the people in town, the barber. His name's Carol Whitledge. And so um, we had him over to the house, uh, fixed some fajitas, got to know him, um, got the Bible study set up. And then Nicole said, what are you going to do? I said, you know, we have those booklets, you know. I said, well, I'll just try them. 
So we used him and baptized him. He was a Baptist in the local, you know, local area. Well, I just kept converting people. I mean, it didn't matter. So the superintendent to the local Methodist church, now that we're not, we're not talking about a, a member here. We're talking about someone in leadership, baptized him. And it just kept baptizing. And, I, and, and so I, I, what I learned is that those little booklets do two things. Number one, preachers need them because we overteach. All right, we have a tendency to tell, tell, tell the, the, the prospect everything we know. And it's, it's not a good place to be. They don't need to know what you know. They just need the basics. Very hard for a preacher to hold back. Okay, so I need them to, to keep me on track. Number two, the student needs them. The student needs structure. The student needs um, a, a booklet that's organized, that's steering them to Calvary, that's answering objections before they even ask it. Bobby Bates was an incredible soul winner. Um, people who, who pick up back to the Bible and read it for the first time, if they're experienced evangelists, here's what they'll tell me. Hey, I see Ivan Stewart in there. Hey, I see Jewel Miller in there. Hey, I see. And, and so it, it, what Bobby did is took the best of all worlds and, 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 and made back to the Bible. Um, um, there's a little story I can tell you about Wilma. Wilma's still alive at this point. She's in her 80s. <clears throat> so I was at her house years ago, and she, she said, Rob, you, you can walk in Bobby's office. I've left it. So I walked in Bobby's office, and it was wall-to-wall books. He, he, he taught at Brown Trail. He taught at Bear Valley. Bear Valley is where he developed back to the Bible, Southwest. Um, and uh, so there's a bookshelf of nothing but eva- evangelism books. I didn't even know there were that many evangelism books. I mean, it's full one of the shelves was was from 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 cover to from corner to corner books on sales. It's like vacuum cleaner salesman of nineteen fifty six, you know, a car salesman of nineteen seventy four. He's got them dissected, underlined techniques they used. He's a he's a he's a, he's a student of people. He knows how to you know talk and persuade. And what I, what it showed me is that he did not develop those in a thirty minute session. You know. He took his life to develop that. And since that time, I've actually met students of his at Bear Valley. I just was in Ohio, and one of his students came up to me, and they said, Rob, I was his student. We helped him develop that. He developed that literally question by question. He'd send us out. We'd test it in door knocking, come back, give him response. He'd rewrite it. We'd come back. We did that for years. So when when preachers say, I'm going to write evangelism material, I'm like, please don't. You know, you don't really understand what you're trying to do. It's it's a lifetime. You just don't write evangelism material. Michael, I have not written, you know, evangelism material like that because it, it literally takes a lifetime. Yeah. Well, it's interesting when you look at it. I, I was asked years ago to write a manuscript on getting a foot in the door. Yeah. And that the, the mindset of how do you actually get into the door to do any door knocking that is successful and that's a that's a tall order. It is. And in so many places, and you've talked about this through the seminar, in so many places, the mindset is, well, door knocking won't work here. And outside of places like Gatlinburg, where you're literally not allowed to do it, that's kind of been the easiest excuse to say is, well, that just doesn't work here anymore, and that's not going to happen. You have proven with your methods doing it the way that you have kind of honed your own craft and also incorporating back to the Bible and house-to-house, heart-to-heart, You've proven to have what you said this week was about a thirty percent success rate, and that is outstanding. Yeah. So yeah. when it comes to doing all of this, what has been? I know one thing I want to say before I move on. I think it was when you were in Somerville doing the seminar when I was still preaching there. I think you said something like, "Don't chase rabbits, kill them. Don't, yeah. don't you know? <laughs> don't don't even entertain them. Just move on. That's right. Don't answer all the questions. You know, it's very very pointed. 
this verse, this question, move forward. Right. And that kind of, like you said earlier, is contrary to so many people's mindsets because we just overteach. And I think it's because we're zealous to try because we think in our minds, well, if I just answer all the questions, they'll become a Christian. But I think if we were honest with ourselves, 90 times out of 100, that's never happened. And the 10 times that it did, you probably got lucky. And yeah. so I, I like how you point out that the point of Back to the Bible, it's it's three lessons. You span it over about three weeks typically, right? That's the, right. That's the goal. That's the goal. And then when that is done, about nine out of ten are converted and that, become Christians. That's correct. And that is a brilliant strategy because if someone were to be able to set up multiple studies a week, they can have multiple baptisms a month. And you're adding to the body of Christ by a simple study Instead of getting bogged down into 18-week studies and 19-week, because the the thing that has become lost on us, I think, from what I've seen, and I appreciate how you point this out, even if you don't say it this way, is these souls are lost. And if we just, you know, mess around and play with their salvation, we may have a situation where someone loses their life, and we could have helped them much sooner if we would just get to the point. And I like how it's very simple. Back to the Bible. That's all it's about. It's just the scriptures. There's some questions that are what we would call logical questions that have to do with scriptures that have been read. But outside of that, Bobby Bates did not sit down and say, now let me give you 14 paragraphs on why it's important for the Lord's Supper to be on the first day of the week. He just has the verse and then a couple of questions, move on. And I love the simplicity of it because you don't have to be fully trained forwards, backwards to sit down and do this. Now, it's ideal if you have some formal training, which is what you do, but I love how someone could literally just pick these up, sit down with their wife even maybe, and practice, and then be ready to roll. Yeah. Now, with this back to the Bible and the house-to-house, heart-to-heart school of evangelism here, they were not originally tied together. No. And so talk about the origin of the school of evangelism and kind of what they do at house-to-house and how you've been able to incorporate Bobby's material throughout all of that. Because tonight at the uh, the church here at Forest Hill, you had an entire table, and I was looking through it last night preparing to kind of figure out all this. And I had always thought, and I think this is just the foolishness of not knowing, all Brother Bates had done were these three things. And I looked last night, and I go, oh, that ain't true. He yeah. did a lot more than just these three yeah. booklets, and his impact goes beyond just the baptistry. It's, it's amazing. Uh, he was an incredible evangelist. I mean, he belongs up there with Jewel Miller, Ivan Stewart, Mid McKnight. These are amazing soul winners. Um, when he built Back to the Bible, he built it on a biblical model. It's Acts eight twelve. You know, Philip uh, preached things concerning the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ. He baptized them. Back to the Bible, book one is the name of Jesus Christ. Back to the Bible, book two, the kingdom of God. Back to the Bible, book three, baptism. Yeah. I mean, everything about Back to the Bible is based on a scriptural model. Philip was an inspired evangelist. Now, if you can come up with a better way to do it, well, let me let me rephrase that. You're not inspired. Right. So whatever Philip did is going to be better than what you come up with. Right. So as we just go back and follow that model, and, and you said something else, and I, 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 want, I want to talk about the development and how these merged, but um, not until this year did I do any research about questions. And what I did is I, I went and said, how many questions were asked to Jesus in his life? 307. How many did he answer? Three. Hmm. Okay, so he answers three questions directly. He's asked 307. Is that anecdotal? Is that just like, you know, uh, some odd, obscure, you know, number? No. It's obvious that's a strategy. 
that he employed. So what did he do to teach people? Well, here's another number. He asks 183. So what was Jesus's primary teaching method? Asking questions. And, and, and what is the response? People reasoned. So that's, that's how it's all put together. Now, okay, how did the school start? How did we merge with house to house? Um, so house to house, I've known of house to house for a long time. As a preacher, it was a go-to tool, right? So I wanted to make sure the church where I was preaching was using house to house. We were baptizing people because of it. We were getting contacts because of it. So Matt Wallen, Alan Webster, they would contact me and say, hey, Rob, can you tell me a little bit more about those baptisms? Because I would give credit to, hey, I got this contact from house to house. They started having me speak at Polishing the Pulpit. I did it for five years. Alan kind of helped me develop those lessons. At year five, he says, come back the sixth year and do the series. That's when things kind of, it just exploded. Yeah. I mean, literally, I walked into the ballroom. It's, it's standing room only. I give those sermons. Elders are throwing cards at me. Come do this. Come do this. Come do this. So Alan knew at that time. I mean, he told me. He saw. He said, this is more than just, a, you know, a one-time event. This is a church thirsty for evangelism. So I can't go to all those churches. So they, I go to World Video Bible School, and I record it. Well, Rudy sends that. He likes it so much, he sends it for free to every Church of Christ in America. Well, you know what that did. My phone just, I mean, I get emails and everybody, hey, come, come. And, and so that, you know, that's kind of how things develop. Well, Don Blackwell saw that. He, he calls me and says, Rob, you've got to start a school of evangelism. We met. We visited. Um, it was really difficult to tell Don no because he's a very close friend of mine. But we just weren't ready to leave Willette and start. And I never, not, not even in any way, thought I'm going to start a school, Right. So I just went back to full-time preaching where Alan, Alan was my confidant during that time. And when I said no to, to, to Don, I never knew that Alan in the background was, was wanting me to start a school, but under house to house. So Alan would never have influenced me away because, you know, the works in the brotherhood that are faithful, we are cheering each other on. Right. We're never competing. So when I made that final decision, Alan said, okay, um, Rob, he says, I need you to come talk to me. So we, we went down to Jacksonville, and then that's when Alan said, here's my vision. Well, house to house is a natural fit, all right? So they have everything really we needed. So instead of starting a back-to-the-Bible school of evangelism, which would have been, I mean, I can do it, but we would, we would in no way be where we are today, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know graphics. I don't know website. I, I don't know. I don't have editors, printers, publishers, secretaries. House to house has the, the, the structure, you know, to do those things. So I remember Luke Griffin said, uh, Rob, send me everything you've got. And I said, why? He says, because you are a terrible designer. It's ugly. We're going <laughs> to redesign everything you've got. That was the first conversation I had with Luke. I didn't know who Luke Griffin was. So, so I send him everything, and then they start designing things. You know, they start, and it's beautiful. I mean, they're good at what they do. Um, they have made me a, a, a lot better. Uh, in so many ways. So we complement each other and we, we've grown really close. I mean, I, Alan and Luke and Matt, we're just really close friends because we all have the same goal. And, and one more thing that I think it's important to preachers here, and, and, and I hope there's some preachers that will really listen to me. You need someone in your life to tell you no. Mm-hmm. Okay. You do not need to be a, a you do not need to be a lone island. Um, you need to have people that are not just yes men. You need people who say, hey, Rob, um, that's, you don't need to do that. 
And Alan and Luke and, 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 you know, we're able to do that with each other. And to believe it or not, I can look at those guys and I can say, no, I don't think that's a good idea. And, and when you respect someone enough, you'll listen to them, mm -hmm. right? And so they've helped me. They kept me from becoming my own worst enemy. When, you know, when you have a bad day, when you get upset, you know, and when you start writing. And, you know, the last thing you need to do is hit send, yeah. you know. Um, and so that's when, you know, you have to have some restraint. And um, so, so it's been a great marriage um, in, in so many ways. So the School of Evangelism is a merger. It's a merger of, um, you know, our, our life of evangelism. Nicole and Hannah and Jared and I, you know, that's been our passion, our life taking that life, merging it with house to house. And what Alan kind of told me is that, hey, hey, Rob, you know, we've got all the tools. We've got house to house. Let's help the brotherhood see the fruit, Yeah, you know, and, and let's show them the fruit. And, and so that merger has been beautiful. Well, and I, when I first saw it and started to see some of the things being done, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say you're a terrible graphics designer. I'll let Luke be that mean. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> uh, I love the charts that you have now at your disposal and in, in the book that you used to kind of provide and the, the material that you had done, the charts were much larger and they were not necessarily the easiest thing to carry around. I love that these are like Bible inserts now. Yes. And uh, you, uh, unfortunately, those of you listening, you can't see these, but we'll put a link in the show notes to everything that is involved with the seminar and all the stuff with the School of Evangelism and how to contact Rob if you want to know more. Uh, but just the simplicity of being able to put, you know, a chart in front of somebody that is able to be used when you need it I think that is, like you said, it is a great marriage. It's worked very well. And, uh, you know, we actually, uh, Rob and I have a little bit more history too because I was in a personal evangelism class. I'm getting my master's degree in May, and I had to interview you for an assignment that I had. And so I got kind of a, a little bit of an insight there with some of the information. And this was, I think, last year about this time. And it's just grown even more. And so I almost feel like I need to go back and update that paper, even though I'm not going to turn it into anybody anytime soon. It's already been graded, and I, I managed to get a good grade, and they, the uh, instructor told me he liked what you had to say. Mm -hmm. And so I know that this is needed, it's working, it's good, and I know that everything being involved with the School of Evangelism doesn't matter if it doesn't get results. So right. let's talk a little bit about those results, because as you've pointed out yourself, you know, Brother Bates wrote this material. You didn't write it. But even if Brother Bates were on this you know, podcast with us today, if he could be, he would be saying the same thing. I didn't write the material really either. God did. And right. he would give credit back to where it's due. It's just taking the scriptures the way God had written and organizing it in a way that it is very hard to not see the full picture. That's correct. So talk about the results that you have seen because we've talked a little bit about 9 out of 10 right. become Christians when you do this. Uh, I think you'd said this week about a 92% success rate that your family has seen in doing this. Uh, Brother Bates and Sister Wilma had said about 90% themselves, 9 out of 10 people. So what about the numbers in totality since you started doing this to where we are now? Can you talk a little sure. bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's back to the Bible has developed. Obviously, you know, um, you know, success in life happens when you follow a process that's proven successful. So when you cheat the process, it doesn't give you the same results. So when someone says, well, we, you know, I'm, I'm not going to use book one or I'm, you know, um, so you, you really need to trust the process. And, and it's written in such a way that it brings about a result. And uh, so back to the Bible, when you finish all three booklets, we get about a nine out of 10 result in it. 
Um, in fact, in the last five years, we've had two people not obey the gospel. When Nicole and I finished the studies, I'm not counting people that quit after book one. Right. I'm counting people that go through this, the booklets, okay? Um, so the School of Evangelism, when we started, I, I, told, I told my family, I said, you know, we need to be very careful on our numbers. I don't want any estimates. I want no guessing. Um, I want our baptisms to have a congregation, a name, and a date. So I said, I, you know, Hannah works for us. Mm-hmm. Okay, I said, Hannah, I said, create a spreadsheet, name of a congregation, name of the person, and date or does not get recorded. Okay, she, she agreed. I said, I don't even want to be a part of this. So at the end of the year, you know, she keeps the numbers. So we're somewhere around 3,400 baptisms total right now. Um, but here's the really interesting part. The first few years, we didn't have those numbers. We're talking like 100 baptisms the first year, 200 the second year. Now, we're, we're going to have 1,200 plus this year. Yeah. So as we've learned how to train churches and more churches are getting involved, we're seeing an incredible turnaround. So when people say evangelism doesn't work, they, 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 they know not what they say. Yeah. You know, we, we know it works. We, know, we have numbers uh, that, that prove it, not estimates, not guesswork. Michael, if anything, it's underreported. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're so at Policy in the Pulpit, I can't tell you how many people run by our table. Oh, we baptized five, six. I don't even know who these people are. I, I can't record it. Um, and, and even this week, you know, over at Somerville, they said, Rob, we've had 18 baptisms using Back to the Bible. That's not in my number. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I would never know that in, unless someone tells me. So, so we know that, it, you know, the, 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 the baptism rate is, is really, really solid in it. Um, so we're going to, you know, 42 congregations this year. We're going to have a, you know, 12, 1300 baptisms. We're averaging four every day. Right now I've got baptisms on my phone. It, it's every day for baptisms, you know, on average that they're reporting to us. These are people enrolled in the school, right? And uh, it's exciting. Yeah, that's great. And I know one of the things that you you really preach, uh, and no pun intended with what I'm about to say, is this is not the preacher's job only. That's right. And unfortunately, and I think that um, if, if time permitted, we could go into a long diatribe about this, but unfortunately, there are several congregations where that is the mindset. It is the preacher's job to be the evangelist, and if he is not winning souls, then he needs to go, and we need to find someone who will do that. But that that's not what the Scriptures no. teach. It's not what the early church did, no. and it's definitely something that if we see a decline in our membership, as we do see where people are not being saved and becoming Christians as daily as was happening in the book of Acts, well, maybe it's because we're not doing it the way that they were doing it. Absolutely. It's, not con- it's congregational, Michael. Uh, Matthew 28, 19, I'm not a Greek scholar, but go ye, I think ye's plural. Yeah. Okay, so in go ye, yes, it means go me, but it means go all. It's congregational evangelism. That's what we teach. So we're not here to train 10 people on a Monday night. That's right. I'm not opposed to, to, to specialized training, but you've got to train the whole church. Mm-hmm. Elders have to be willing to make an investment in their membership. And so, so you know, it's isn't it interesting how quickly an eldership will write a check for $10,000 to go to India. Yeah. Why not invest some in your members? Right. And let's train them how to do this. Let's put it in their hand. Let's spend time in the pulpit, you know, of emphasizing how do you use back to the Bible. Here, here's, here's something. Um, what do you do when a visitor walks in the door? Have you ever had a class on that? Like, you know, has, has, have you ever been to a class that says, when a visitor walks in the door, what's your objective? How do you achieve it? I haven't. But, but they're the highest yielding prospects in a church. In other words, they're baptized at the highest rate. So, so why aren't we spending time 
focused on that. And that's what our school does. So we break it down. We have a model. It's a six-step model. We call it the franchise effect. We want to franchise the model at your local church. So when you order the number three, I know exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get the waffle fry, the chicken nuggets, and you're going to get the, the medium drink at Chick-fil-A. If you mess with that model, you are no longer Chick-fil-A. And what we, what, we, what we encourage elders to do once we arrive is trust the process, apply the model. It works. Be careful about your, about your changes, okay? So if you'll just try it for six months, you'll see good results. But if you start out by saying, oh, well, we've got this idea, or if you did it this way, well, no disrespect intended, you really have no foundation for saying those things. Right. You know, if, if what you were doing worked, I would not be here. Um, I, I, I would like you to trust the system. We know it works. And, and if, if you'll bring us, we'll give you a model. And after six months, tweak it. I've, I met with your elders. These are, man, the Forest Hill elders are fine men. And, and they have collectively much more wisdom than I have. And, 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 and it's intimidating to speak to men like this. But I, I said to them, I said, brethren, I ask for you to trust the process and give it six months. After six months with your wisdom, you're going to invent a better mousetrap. And all I ask you to do is share it with me so we can get better together. So once you find something, if, you, if there's an area of, in, our, in our process that you've, hey, Rob, and, I, and that's how our school actually has developed. It's not all Rob's ideas or Bobby's ideas. It is collectively. I mean, in our school, you know, Memphis School of Preaching, you know, Keith Mosier's in our school somewhere. Your dad, BJ's in our school somewhere. Because I've learned from those men. Um, you know, Southwest School of Bible Studies in yeah. there. Bobby Bates is in there. Jewel Miller's in there. Why can't we take the best from everyone? No one needs credit. We, we don't need, you know, no one needs to have their, 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 you know, their name, you know, written down and, you know, get all the glory. We want God to get the glory, but does not the body have everything it needs to be successful? And if we can collectively work together, it, it, and, that, and that's what we're trying to achieve. Let's get that church working together. It's not about the preacher. It's not about the elders. It's about everyone working together. And if they will do that, um, it will be an incredible change in that church. We, we have results in our school of churches. You know, they achieve a, an average of 10% growth every year. Yeah. Imagine you're a church of 150, you baptize 15. That's what we see in our school. You know, all over the, the country, uh, we, we see churches from Maryland, Baltimore, Baltimore, Maryland, they're growing. You know, New Hampshire, uh, let's go out to Kansas. You know, we, we can go anywhere in the country just about. And because of that, we've been able to identify men who are successful. They're not all preachers. And we've developed nine regional trainers. <laughs> Three of them are graduates of the Memphis School of Preaching. But you know, some of them didn't go to any preaching school. Some of them, one of them is a real estate agent. The reason we ask him to be a regional trainer is because he succeeds. He's, he, he's good at what he does. So, so our school grows based upon the success of what people are doing, not based upon who you are, what your name is. You know, um, it's based upon, you know, what are you doing? What are the results? Yeah. In the 1960s, um, steel mills began to close in Pittsburgh between the 60s and 70s. And so a bunch of these steel workers had to go find jobs elsewhere. They moved out of the state of Pennsylvania. They left. And right around 1972, this team in Pittsburgh started to be very, very successful. And they then went on to win four Super Bowls in that decade. That's the Steelers. And slowly, around the 70s, all these different Steelers locations started popping up all across the country. 
and it became known that the Steelers are one of the best traveled fan bases in the NFL. And I've been able to go to some games as a Steelers fan where I look out and I see more Pittsburgh than I see the home team. Reminds me of Acts 8. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad whenever we're preaching the word. That's our theme verse at the Scattered Abroad Network. It's why we're called the Scattered Abroad Network, Acts 8-4. Well, that's what they did in the 60s and 70s. They were scattered because their, their steel mills closed, but their love of their team did not stop. And so they go everywhere and they continue to tell others about the team that they loved. If only we would have the same mentality and tap into it the same way. Because there's a graphic here, and I'll share it with you when we're done here, but like you can scroll down and see all the steel mills that were closing down in the 60s to the 80s and the 90s, and even now there's only about three mills remaining. And there used to be a, a dozen or more. And yet the fandom of the Steelers nation, if you will, grew because they were so diehard no matter where they were. Wow. If we could tap into that as Christians about yeah. something that is far better and greater than any sports team could ever be, what could we accomplish? Because that's what happens in Acts 8 4. They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Last I checked, that word everywhere means everywhere. And we could do that again in the digital era that we live in, being able to spread the gospel through means of house to house, heart to heart, through means of podcasting, through means of getting the word out about this, these seminars that you do both in person or online with people watching the videos that have been done. There are no excuses. And we have to tap back into this. Otherwise, we're going to notice that we're more passionate about our teams than our Savior. And that's a problem. And I love my team. And I'm going to watch them every chance that I get. And I will tell everybody around here every chance that I get, I love my team. But I really should also love my Lord more to the point where I'll tell people, hey, let me tell you about the God who died for you. Let me tell you how he can spare your soul from an eternity of horror. And I think that's really the beauty of simplicity that Back to the Bible does is it doesn't get bogged down in the weeds. It is very effective. It's very simplistic. And if churches buy into that, like you said, a 10% growth on average, man, how would that not be a blessing? Would you be a excited if your if your financial portfolio portfolio grew ten percent a year. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, you'd be the genius of the of the financial market and, and we're but we're seeing that. In fact, we have churches that have doubled in size in two years. More than one. Uh, I'm I'm talking churches have, have have I mean they just jumped on fire, gone from twenty five to fifty in two years. Yeah. And um and uh it's 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 we know evangelism works. Uh, I think Wendell Winkler once said uh brethren it's time to arise and evangelize and baptize, or we're going to fossilize, you know. And I can hear his words yeah. in my my ear, and I preach that message. And um, you know, we're we're uh, we're we're our demographics are horrible. You know, when we look at our age demographics, sixty percent of our church members are fifty years and o- older. Thirteen percent are under the age of thirty. Um, you know, if, if we do not get busy and we don't emphasize this as we should be doing. Um, I, I fear for what we're going to look like in 25 years. Yeah. In fact, the projections are that we're going to go from we're going to go from 1.2 million to 300,000 Christians in 25 years, and and that's what happens if you don't evangelize. That's right. Well, and I know it's interesting. the The last thing I'll say before I throw it to you for anything else you want to add uh, that I I often said at Somerville, and I, I've often said just in general when I've gone places and preached, there are people you talk about this in the seminar that meet people every day the preacher will never meet. That's right. And I used to say in local work, if you would come to me and say, 
we're going to have dinner. We'd like you to come and be there. I will pay for the meal if you need me to. And we will sit down and we will have a meal with this contact and I'll create the opportunity for there to be a chance, for there to be a study, and we'll see what happens. And I love how you point that out because the preacher's just one man or maybe two, perhaps three if they're lucky, and those three people evangelizing as ministers to a group of at least 150 plus typically when you have that many ministers, how do they account for all of those 150 connections that they have? They can't, but if people would just bring them to them, it's a lot like the disciples with Jesus. Come and see. Let me show you. And if we'll bring the preacher to these dinners and we'll bring yep. the preacher, you don't even have to cook at home. Go yeah. out to eat. Do something like that. Yeah. Give the connection. I love that you point that out because if congregations would tap into doing that, you know, if each one reach one, if we could bring one person each and have a study, and our success rate goes to 9 out of 10, how fast could we grow? Preacher, preachers are terrible contact creators. They're terrible for, for obvious reasons outside of their control. It's because of who they're around, right? right? Uh, the members are the contact creators. They're the engine of evangelism. The, the elders are in the driver's seat. Preachers over there in the passenger seat with them. But, but, but the members are the engine. And if, you, if, if that engine isn't running, you have no evangelism. That's right. And that, it's congregational. And uh, so, so we need to engage the members. And, and we have tools to almost guarantee that will happen. So we have, we have a great model. Our six-step model is, is, is fun. And um, every time an elder finally sees our six-step model, and we give you access to our website, which we, we keep password protected. We don't want to train, you know, the denominational groups how to grow. This is for members of the Church of Christ who... Go through the training. All right. Once they see the model, they're on fire. They say, that, that makes sense. You know, he said, well, my job does that. We have one of those models. You know, Walmart calls them customers. The military calls them recruits. Teachers call them students. Airlines call them passengers. Um, we call them contacts. That's right. And without them, you don't go anywhere. That's right. Well, Rob, I'm thankful that you took time to sit down with me tonight yes. and talk about this today for some of you listening probably at this point. Uh, do you have anything else that you would like to mention that maybe we didn't have a chance to cover? Sure. Anything that I neglected to point out that is important? Anything at all before I throw it to the the outro here and we're, we'll go off into the night and we'll let you get some sleep? Yeah, I, just that, you know, to God be the glory. This is not about, you know, any one person. And, and I, I want to make sure that that, that we, we, we give praise to really whom it's due. And it's God who allows us to work in his kingdom. He's the, he's the king of kings. And uh, it's a privilege to, 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 to evangelize because we're soldiers in his army. And, um, you know, and, and, and with God, all things are possible. You know, and one thing we learn about the church of the Old Testament is that when they fought for God, God fought for them. But when they stopped, so did God. And, and brethren, uh, please remember that, that God will let you die. He won't save you because you're, you know, you're the quote-unquote church of Christ. Um, he let Israel die in the Old Testament. He let them be conquered. Um, and just because they had the Ark of the Covenant did not save them. Um, they had to fight. And in Judges, they stopped. And I, I'm fearful that, that maybe we, we, we fought in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and then we rested on our laurels in the 80s and 90s, and now we're reaping what we've sown. Um, and we, we, we've got to fight. And this is a fight for souls. And, and we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So give praise to God and let's fight for our God. He'll fight for us. Um, he has the power to overcome the projections and the numbers. We can grow. That's right. 
Well, again, thank you guys so much for joining us and listening to this. If you're interested in these seminars that Rob conducts, you can find all of his information down in the show notes. If you're interested in the School of Evangelism and House to House, Heart to Heart, again, all down in the show notes. We'll put all the contact information Rob wants to give, and we'll maybe uh, maybe not have quite the same impact that Rudy Kane had earlier where he sent it to every church in the, in the brotherhood in the world, but we'll do what we can to help get the church to grow again with these seminars, getting back to the Bible, and we are so thankful for you do- joining us on this episode of Highlights where we talk about a wonderful work in the brotherhood, and Lord willing, here in the near future, we'll be back again with another work to highlight. But until then, take care, and God bless.